Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores the New Mutants, an issue-by-issue exploration of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode 23, The Christmas Special. Today we'll be interviewing Lee Margadon, the artist who drew, did the work for the podcast cover photo, and uh, just kind of doing a retrospective, reviewing what we've covered so far you know, just, just looking back and seeing how far the podcast has come as far as New Mutants continuity and just touching in with the characters and seeing exactly where they're all at. Uh, so please stay tuned and experience my first interview. Hopefully it goes well. So where should we begin this retrospective of this half of the year that I've been recording my New Mutants podcast? I think the most obvious place to begin is from the beginning of the podcast and in that start where where this new mutants team developed and really was first put to page we saw characters popping up outside of the graphic the, the first uh graphic novel marvel graphic novel number four which was new mutants the new mutants that was their origin story but we saw characters like karma and iliana they were popping up outside of these books, outside of the New Mutants books. Uh, Karma's first appearance was in that Marvel team-up with Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. She worked with them, helped save her uh, sisters and brothers, uh, and the in return she was pretty much left with Xavier by the Fantastic Four after that issue. And that's how she becomes involved with the New Mutants. Uh, Ileana, she's the kid sister of uh, Colossus, um, as most of you probably know. And she first appears in Uncanny X-Men issues. That's where she first shows up. And then has her interdimensional uh, transformation and mutation occur in Limbo. And uh, will then later join the team. Uh, She is essentially aged in a matter of seconds on Earth time to a seven-year-old, from a seven-year-old child to a 14-year-old child, uh, all in limbo in those years, passed as they would for anyone else. Uh, It was in limbo she passed in normal time, while on Earth, time went by in a matter of seconds. Had Only seconds had ticked by, and so when she returns, like, they're shocked to find her as a teenager. Meanwhile, the other New Mutants... Their first appearances occur in that graphic novel, as I had said. And we have Rain Sinclair as the first of the uh, New Mutants that we, we meet. Uh, she, um, she is being chased by uh, a band of a mob, right? A rabble-roused mob. And they are f- ready to kill her. They're led by Reverend Craig, the man who raised her in the in the orphanage she grew up with, and she they're ready to kill her. We we see her saved by Moira McTaggart, and Moira takes her to Xavier, because Moira knows she's immune. We see Roberto da Costa in Brazil and Sam Guthrie in Kentucky. And Roberto he manifests his mutation uh during a soccer match, right? And he he turns he metabolizes sunlight's energy and turns into this hulking mass of blackness uh that he refers to as a sunspot and is super strong, a little quicker 
need a little more endurance, but he's not invincible in this form. Uh, we also see Cannonball for the first time, uh, Sam Guthrie, and he he rescues a miner from a cave-in by using his ability to turn into what he calls a cannonball, a human projectile, essentially. His legs uh, become just combustible energy, and he just rockets. And while he's rocketing through the air in this form, he is invincible, essentially. He can't be harmed while rocketing, um, while he's blasting. Um, we meet Danny Moonstar, Daniel Moonstar. She is a Cheyenne. She lives in Wyoming. She she uh, has been a hermit in the mountains. And we come to find that her parents had been, uh, a, she believed, killed by a demon bear uh, that has, has been hunting her. Her grandfather was the closest thing she had. Uh, but with the manifestation of her powers, she has since left civilization. She's become a hermit. The only thing she communes with is nature and uh, animals. She has this weird connection with animals, we come to find. And what, what ends up happening is this team forms in this graphic novel. Their threat that they're combating is Donald Price. And he, his desire is to, to, to wipe out mutants. He, he hates mutants. He's a cyborg, human cyborg thing that he just detests mutants. He, he wants to kill all he wants to take over the Hellfire Club and rule it with an iron fist. I mean, this is his ambition, and and he's not a good guy. You don't want to cross paths with him. Uh, Sam had been working for Donald Price's company, and he goes to work for Donald Price as a security guard. Uh, this all kind of comes to a head after they capture Xavier, and and we find the new mutants forming in in an effort to save Xavier, and they're able to defeat Donald Price. And what we see over the course of this issue. Uh, and and the issues to come is this this difference. There's a difference, a marked difference in how the story is told and the way we see these characters' relation to their mutant abilities. They don't like them. They fear them. They detest them. They don't they don't see them as gifts, right? That is the second gen and maybe even the first gen to a certain degree's relationship with their gifts, with their mutant abilities. They see them as gifts, and they use them to help people. They use them to help the relations of mutants and human humanity. That's not how the new mutants see them. They see them as barriers to their ability to relate with others. For Danny, for Rain, for so many of these characters, their powers come at a great cost. For, for Danny, Moonstar, she is not able to relate with people. She's a hermit in the hills because she pulls these disgusting, horrible images unwillingly out of people's heads that terrify them and make her she's hated by the people around her that she once cared for and rain she's being told again and again that she is a spawn of satan that she is you know not of god and that she should be killed because of that she's being hunted for that reason and and sam like yeah he might have his his gifts are maybe not harming others, but he does not have the ability to control them with the ease that some of his classmates so quickly developed control and ability to, like, utilize their powers in a way that's constructive and helpful, where, where Sam struggles to be able to maneuver while he's blasting. And Roberto's relationship with his ability is is not any better. He he has all this power and all this great strength, but time and time again he is able unable to save the people that he cares about. Uh, Juliana, Karma, Danny, time and time again. His mother, time and time again, his powers fail him, and his friends are either killed or captured as a result of that. 
Um, so the arcs that follow, the stories that follow, we see uh, the introduction of Stevie Hunter. She's going to be their, uh, one of their teachers at the Xavier Institute. Um, and we see them fighting sentinels and we see them battling the brood as one has taken over Charles Xavier and uh, we see one of the very first crossovers of titles this is the first spin-off that Marvel has ever done it's the first spin-off of the X-Men that Marvel's ever done and it's the first time we really see a crossover of any any uh any significance in the Marvel in, uh, comics or in X-Men comics um, in the X-Men comic line and that's you know a, a short crossover uh, that deals with Xavier's a brood with the you know it's crossing over between X-Men and, and the New Mutants and what, what what Claremont the writer of the series he's starting to lay these uh, these these story threads throughout this art, uh, throughout the the issues, right? We're seeing hints uh, to what's to come. We see hints of the Demon Bear Saga, which we just covered. We, we're seeing hints to Xavier's son, which we're going to f- cover shortly here. Um, we're seeing hints to um, all sorts of events. And he's just letting these strands dangle, right? We see something, a hint to something to come with karma down the road. Um, a hint to something to come that's, that's years out at this point. Years out. We're not going to see it come to fruition until the 90s. Um, and that deals with karma to a certain degree. We're seeing that char- some characters come to life that we wouldn't, uh, and, and story arcs come to life that he isn't even ready to deal with yet. But these these threads are here, and he and he's great about just littering his stories with comics with story threads that he can come back to later and pu- and pull into stories down the road. Um, but Demon Bear Saga is a great example of that because early on we're seeing Danny in this conversation about an internal conflict about her parents having been been taken by this evil bear that is hunting her. Right. <clears throat> so all this is going on. We're seeing this this combat. Uh, they have to fight Xavier, who's been uh, taken over by a brood, has an, a brood embryo in him. Right? We see this combat with the Sentinels at the mall. We see uh, Team America and this stalker that's chasing uh, Stevie Hunter. Then we see Team America and 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 Silver Samurai and uh, Viper and, and the loss of of karma in an explosion while trying to, you know, trying to, to rescue Danny who had been captured, right? So we're seeing these team, this team develop. And just as it's beginning to hit its stride, karma's gone. She's taken from us. And, you know, I should touch quickly on the art here because to me, the art is so vital to this story, right? We have uh, Bob McLeod who did the art to start the book and, and his work is stunning. And for a child who really, you know, hit my stride in comic book collecting in the nineties, like McLeod's work is something I've never seen at that time when I was beginning collecting, really getting the X-Men books, you know, really hitting up, uh, buying issues on the regular, like McLeod's art was not the style of the nineties. No, the style of the nineties was big, muscular, model-like characters with big, big chests and big behinds, right? Very um, sexualized and over-sexualized in a lot of ways. That's not what McLeod did here. And it's not what his uh, replacement's going to do either. Sal Buscema does not 
make these characters sexual objects, objects of sexual desire. These are, these are kids, and they're treated as such, and they're drawn as such. Their facial expressions are wonderful. Their body language tells you they're uncomfortable, awkward, and stumbling fools most of the time. And, and McLeod's artwork, even probably more so than Sal Buscema's, uh, really sells that, to, in my opinion, right? Uh, and, and Buscema's a fantastic artist, and he picks up what what McLeod was trying to do, and he carries that forward, and I think he does an, exempl- an exemplary job of doing of that. I think he's a very good artist. I also think that had he been asked to do something different than what he was doing, he might have surprised some people. But there was a artist making some waves on a, in Marvel at the time, uh, towards the end of Sal Buscema's run, and his name was Bill Sienkiewicz. And for me, for my money, he is the best artist. He's the great. He's my favorite. He's my favorite comic artist of all time. His work on the New Mutants, I mean, it, 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 it's revolutionary. It, and I cannot stress that enough. It, it is a dynamic shift, a drastic shift from what mainstream comics was doing at the time. There wasn't another artist really doing any of what Sienkiewicz was doing. And he he brings in other mediums, uh, clippings, art, uh, you know, photo, you know, photo clippings, photographs, painting, inking, uh, pencil, and he puts it all together. Um, and he does all of the artwork on most of the books he writes. He's stunningly, amazingly perfect. And when you pair him with Claremont, you have this partnership that is unmatched, in my opinion, in the New Mutants. I don't think in my for my money there isn't a comment there isn't a partnership between artist and writer that matches that they they complement each each other so wonderfully and the stories that they're able to tell through the art and through Claremont's writing is it's 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 unmatched I mean Demon Bear Saga is in my opinion one of the greater one of the greatest story arcs Marvel's ever produced uh, certainly the best probably the greatest that exists in, in, in New Mutants. And, you know, there's going to be people who probably disagree with that, but that's just my opinion. I think, I think they, they work so well together. That being said, I should get back to our story, our, 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 our main story arc here. So with, with <clears throat> Karma Captured, what, they did, what was decided was Xavier's going to have the X-Men look for Karma and send the New Mutants to Brazil with Roberto's mother. They end up going with her on an expedition. She's an archaeo was an archaeologist, and so they went with her into the rainforest and up the Amazon River. And they end up finding Nova Roma. And this is a lost Roman colony. And so they have not changed their their technology as that of Rome back when Rome was an empire, when it was the most powerful empire in the world. They have Roman legions and, and Roman swords, Roman armor, Roman you know helmets, uh, Roman uh, uh, gladiatorial combat. They have it all. Roman colosseums, you know, all of that sort of stuff. That is, this is what is here. And I'm going to touch up quickly on a villain that we're introduced to here, Celine. And for my money, she's a. I've already said this. I love her character. I think she has so much untapped potential. I wish 
I wish that Claremont had done more with her. And she shows up in the X-Men, and a lot of people don't like her character because she just has never developed beyond, beyond just this evil thing, right? She's just this bad guy. And typically when that happens, when characters are just cast in the role of evil and everything they do is evil, and their character is never allowed to be more nuanced than that, more dynamic than that, they're boring, and so many people are bored by Selena. And there's going to be other new enemies that are going to come up and very shortly that we'll talk about in this, this podcast. Uh, Empath is another example of this. He's just evil for the sake of evil. He's easy to hate, just like Selena is easy to hate. But there's no depth to that character. And as and, and a result, it makes these characters boring. And, and they have untapped potential. Thankfully for Empath, Simonson takes him and gives him some nuance and some uh, develops him in a way that's more uh, makes him more interesting um, when when he uh, kind of begins to have a relationship with Amara um, and Amara is who they are they bump into here it's going to be one of their new team members Amara Aquila she is <clears throat> she is the daughter of a senator. Um, Senator Aquila in in Nova Roma, and he is fighting to keep uh, it a republic. There's another senator who's doing everything in his power to make it uh, become emperor and really ruin it with rule Nova Roma with an iron fist. And his name is Senator Galileo. He happens to be the husband of this priestess Celine, and Celine is sacrificing uh, women in this. In Nova Roma to keep herself young. Uh, she's a psychic vampire and she draws strength from people, right? From their life force. So she's the big bad here. They all team up and they defeat Celine and they defeat uh, Galileo and they save Nova Roma. Amara ends up going back with them. So now the team consists of Danny, Cannonball, uh, Rain, Bobby, Amara. And shortly, Ileana's going to join the team. And then they're all going to go up against the Hellions. Uh, and the Hellions is a team that is run by Emma Frost at the Massachusetts Academy. And that's that's an academy run by the Hellfire Club. And we see some characters that are going to become pig down the road. Uh, and these characters, they're essentially the... They're just a rival school for the New Mutants. And when they're taken in that light, the the team of students who the New Mutants are sometimes friendly with and sometimes get along with, uh, it's it makes for a really interesting story. But they go up against the White Queen, and they beat them uh, and, and rescue Kitty uh, and then come back to uh, the mansion in uh, New York where... Danny then confronts the Demon Bear. And we just covered the Demon Bear saga, so we get through the Demon Bear saga. And and what we what we get is this you know, <clears throat> Claremont's just building the roster and really what we're beginning to see is in these last two confrontations, the one with the Hellions and this one with uh especially the one with like and this one in the Demon Bear saga, right? So this the fighting the Demon Bear the team comes together and they work together to defeat this evil, right? They all work together to achieve this goal of defeating the demon bear. It's the first time this happens. Now you could go back, you could argue they worked as a team when they rescued Danny, kind of, sort of, 
right? Um, karma had something happen, and they all kind of attacked. It was a failure. Karma was lost. They did save Danny, but it was close. It was really a hard fight, and Xavier was there manipulating the situation. The next, the next big fight that they face in Nova Roma is very piecemeal and haphazard, and they're not all on the same page. Uh, they do defeat them, and they work together, and they help the Nova Romans, and Amara joins the team, but it's it's pretty chaotic and kind of a mess. The fight with um the when they when they battle the Hellions, it becomes a one off, a one on one competition between Sam and Jetstream. And Sam is able to beat Jetstream and they end up getting away, right? Um but and they're not really working together to defeat an enemy yet. And and the I would argue the demon bear is really the first time we see them work together, all using their abilities in concert to beat this big evil, and it's significant. I think it's extremely significant, and it's and it's telling also that I think that one of their teammates is 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 fighting for their life. They're doing it to protect their teammate Danny Moonstar, who also happens to be probably the most effective of the two leaders. I would argue she is the most she of of her and Sam who are the team leaders co-team leaders she is the tactical leader Sam is more of the heart of the team but he his he's been he pays attention to Danny he's smart enough to learn from her um and and like I said they all have this struggle with their abilities and this distrust and some in some cases straight dislike and hatred and self-loathing that they carry because of their abilities um, and you could spend time, you know, you can write, there's chapters written on, in, in scholarly work, uh, monographs dedicated to to this topic, to the new mutants and their relationship to their powers. You know, we could spend a long time dissecting that. We're not going to on this podcast because I do want to get to that interview. So, but like I said, they are all struggling with their abilities, they're all struggling to master those and to, to trust in their abilities. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's their teamwork and their ability to work together in this mutual trust that allows them to, to come to terms to a degree with their abilities. We see this when Sam is, is talking to Rain, right? Like, he comforts her, you know, more than once, on one occasion, telling her that she is not the monster she sees herself as, and that he, you know, she should give that same fair shake to Eliana, right? And so, like, when they trust each other and work together, they do okay. When they mistrust each other and they're not, ref- and they refuse to not you know, refuse to work together, things kind of go to go to hell in a handbasket. Um, but that that's kind of where we're at, right? Like this team of misfit mutants that may or may not become superheroes that seem to always find themselves in situations where they're using their powers as a superhero might. <clears throat> <clears throat> that's that's where things kind of stand at this point. And and these dynamics between the characters will will continue to get um, will continue to be explored uh, in this issue in these comics and therefore will explore them. And I'll try to do a better job of analyzing the art in this new year to come. I'll be trying to do a better job of um, tying character moments in 
different issues back together when when appropriate and and really let's let's try to dissect this comic and be I'll try to be a little more critical moving forward of this issue the comic it's hard because it is my favorite but I will try to do a better job of being critical of it um and and let's just see what we get from that I I'm I'm excited to 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 jump into the next issues to come because that's slumber party and we're going to be introduced to warlock uh it's his first uh, it's it's going to be Warlock's issue where he joins the New Mutants, becomes a, a main member of the team, and uh, that's exciting. So next week we'll be, um, yeah, jumping into issue, uh, New Mutants issue, <coughs> sorry, New, New Mutants issue 21, Slumber Party. Uh, and that's going to be, that's going to be, like I said, Warlock joining the team. So next week it'll be that. Please do stay, stay, and and let's let's dive into the interview. So I'm here with Lee Margadant, and we're gonna do a quick interview. Uh, he's the artist who did the the artwork for the podcast. Uh, would, would you like to say hi? Hey, how's it going? Happy to be here. Awesome. <laughs> um, so let's just start. Um, who's your? I mean, what's your favorite comic hero, and how did you get to familiar with the X Men? Yeah, definitely Hulk is the one that got me in. Incredible Hulk. When we were younger, for some reason, I just gravitated towards all back issues of the Incredible Hulk. So we would go and dig through those. And something about the art in that really grabbed me, that 70s style. And then, yeah, the X-Men universe was definitely introduced to me by you when we were younger. We That was just what we were steeped in. We, we grew up in the Jim Lee era, that 1991 relaunch, really influenced us a great deal i think so that's where it really brought me into that for sure yeah i i don't i i there's this memory for me for the x-men uh being in the grocery store and looking at spinner racks in parkston and maybe sometimes getting comics with mom and dad uh but wolverine obviously dad got me that uh got me hooked on that and then yeah the relaunch was huge. Yeah, I, I grew up. I don't remember a time like prior to comics because like, I just grew up with you. So There's I just remember always having comics. In always my life. comics yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, um, the '90s TV show was huge too. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, that was great. We we just got Fox Network in 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 our basic. Uh, TV package in in Rapid City, South Dakota. Yeah. At that time, and yeah, we got to watch it, and we were like so so jazzed on that. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, <clears throat> like Hulk, uh, do you have preferred artists maybe that you really are drawn to? Yeah, I guess the ones that really influenced my. My drawing style, I did Sal Buscema, that era, really just for some reason, like I said, the 70s era of the Hulk was just, I don't know, it got my little mind wrapped up in, <laughs> and I just wanted to draw it so bad. Even in, in, in lieu of the, the newer stuff, I'm like, yeah, I'm a 70s kid. <laughs> but then that led to like Herb Trimpey's art really, really got me. I love that stuff too. And and then, but people influenced me. I definitely, Sam Keith was so amazing i loved his just wild crazy style and eventually got way more into cartoony style sure. artist. i started to appreciate that we 
we obviously were big Jim Lee fans. Right. He was an influence, but I could never replicate his his style because it's just so like anatomically perfect. But right. But yeah, he was definitely an influence as well. <laughs> and Sam Keith, he's the Max. Uh, did the Max correct for? Image. Yeah, he did the Max, and he also did some stuff on on. Well, Wolverine, he did that Wolverine run, and I think it was the '80s, and that Marvel, Marvel presents, presents, I think, yeah. And see, he had just such a neat treatment of an animalistic Wolverine. Yeah. And he did a Hulk uh, issue, I think it was 368, where he fought Mr. Hyde. And he was such <laughs> an animal. He, was a, he looked like an ogre, and it was like, that was a Hulk I really appreciated. Sure. So, yeah. Nice. Um, so, as far as like X Men, New Mutants, um, any X characters, do you have a favorite? Uh, or is there a favorite for each team? Or yeah, I get growing up, I was always in, loved the tank like characters or the big one, the big monstrous guys. So like Colossus and, sure. and Beast off the bat were the guys I loved, and and Nightcrawler. I always had a soft spot for Nightcrawler, and I love those characters. And I feel Colossus has a great story as well. well both of them do but colossus has that kind of he always was kind of a torn good guy <laughs> right i think that for a while he was with the acolytes and magneto yes yeah i enjoyed that that kind of turn he took so. after the legacy virus took his sister yeah, yeah that's right yeah, yeah. <laughs> well and the thing that i find interesting you know beast i mean <clears throat> if you take his time on x factor and colossus has this long run without another large character you know big muscle character on the x-men you know until rogue shows up mm. like he's the he's the muscle of the team you know yeah. you know because we've got different lines starting to finally spin off of the x-men books um and then when you talk about Nightcrawler, like when you start talking about Colossus and Nightcrawler, and when we're having mm. those discussions, my mind jumps to that arcade game, uh, yeah. that eight-player arcade X-Men <laughs> game, side scroller, you know, spending tons of quarters yeah. just to get as far as you can. Um, <clears throat> do you? Did you have? I was. I can probably guess your favorite characters in that, but. Yeah. Uh, who who would you have played as? Oh, always Colossus. He had that special move where he's like, <laughs> <laughs> I remember it so vivid. <laughs> For sure. Um, have you seen much of Cochran's art? I know that Cochran was the... He had liked Nightcrawler. And so in the early X-Men, he, Nightcrawler was a central character. Yeah, he he did the that uh, the new team relaunch. Was He he was on that. I uh, think so. Yeah, and I yeah, 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 yeah read some of that i got some reprints of those uh that relaunch issue and i really enjoyed his take on nightcrawler he was he was great i that whole new team when they relaunched was great and i feel like he he is an excellent artist yeah he's definitely one of the definitive the definitives um and then uh john Byrne came on and, mm -hmm. and he focused more on wolverine and i think everyone kind of knows where the where the marvel universe went with that but yeah. uh uh yeah um, have you read much of the New Mutants stuff? Uh, I think uh, most what I've read, besides a single issue here and there, is that Fallen Angels uh, miniseries. I picked that up for real cheap, and I maybe got some duplicate issues off of you. And that was enjoyable, and I always liked the characters. I thought it was a fun read, and I think I was drawn 
to your you pointed me towards that demon bear saga with uh Bill uh, Sinkowitz. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Zinkevich. Zinkevich. Yeah, I just yeah. recently learned the pronunciation of it myself. Yeah, so. he, he is such a breathtaking artist, so it's easy to jump into those books, but I feel like it is, a, especially now listening to your podcast, you really start to appreciate the depth of the, the story there, and I would like to revisit most of it if I can yeah, get my hands it's, on it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it used to be readily available. I mean, I bought most of, most of my New Mutants for a buck a piece there's occasionally five dollar issues and of course there's the deadpool issue and the cable issues <laughs> yeah. that are ungodly expensive mm-hmm. but i mean most of them i think five to dollar to five dollars mm. for them so but that might have changed with potential movie coming out yeah. uh, demon bear saga and that um yeah uh of of what you know um do you have a favorite new mutant character I was always partial to, to Cannonball. I thought he was such a neat character. Sam Guthrie, just his little southern playing <laughs> they wrote. <laughs> but I, you gotta love uh, Roberto. He's a soccer player. Yeah, you know, that got my heart. So. <laughs> but yeah, and also uh, Ileana Magic was cool. She's Peter's sister, yeah. and that was I just thought that was a cool dynamic. Very so cool. Yeah. It made me more interested in her because of that that relationship. I think. Yeah, and like for me, it was. I mean, you remember collecting, buying the Wizards. I shouldn't say we collected them, but we bought them. Mm. And those, I really, we were, I, for sure I was, and I think you enjoyed it too, the the, the X-Men Special Wizards, like 35th anniversary. Oh, That's yeah. the one that sticks out of my yeah. head. <laughs> and in that, <clears throat> excuse me, in that, in that issue, they had like all of, like these little short blurbs about characters and that's how i discovered the new mutants uh. was looking through that and reading little synopsis about like these characters yeah. characters that i was like who <laughs> yeah. the f- who the hell is this i've never <laughs> heard of this character i've never seen him in an x book i think i remember that <clears throat> that same issue you're talking yeah. about how they laid it out i can envision it yeah, yeah that's that's cool because there's such a huge cast of x characters that in our when you're that young, you hadn't met all of them yet, and it's like, right. whoa. <laughs> yeah, because it's when you think about how long that book had been going, and you mm. and you weren't if you're not even talking spinoffs at that point, like you've got hundreds and like it's '90s, so you're 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 talking about you know 300 plus issues of X-Men <laughs> books, yeah. probably more than that if you count the original series. You know. Yeah, I still I find I still find myself using like Marvel Wikia or like the wiki page to just find out about a character if I have limited knowledge. So that sure. was like the proto wiki yeah. Wikipedia. You could go and look through all these characters that you never knew or had no experience with. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it, and then you know we were lucky enough too. I think to have a local comic book store. I mean you can talk about the merits of that store all you want, but it did have back issues yeah. galore. That really afforded us the ability to dive into something that, yeah, like it, we prior to the internet, like this wasn't something we had. Yeah, back then that was such a cool store. I mean, they shifted their kind of focus, and I know the ownership changed, but originally, I, I mean, maybe it's my child memory, but I just remember so many long boxes of used yeah. books. I still feel like I don't see that yeah. today when I'm in a store. You don't see that much of a back catalog, and maybe it was just the time, the '90s, you could afford to have have a store that was all back catalog but yeah like it's <laughs> unbelievable like yeah i mean we're we'll go to a comic book store today here in des moines and mayhem comics and, and that's gonna have a good back catalog but 
like there was a back room in, in this one in, in, where we grew up this story called storyteller it had just this back room full of back issues and the front room had it too mm-hmm. and like you could find so much and i regret so much not like pushing my collection of x-men yeah. then because it was reasonably oh, priced yeah. there's some hulk issues you could get for it you know so cheap and now it's like oh boy i, I remember looking at that that 104 <laughs> <such> a, yeah. <laughs> but yeah it's amazing how the industry has changed and with yeah. the internet the advent of the internet i mean i don't know if you're familiar with the marvel unlimited i think it's what it's called i might have done it called it wrong said the wrong name here but uh it's you pay it nine nine dollars a month ten bucks a month something like that and you access to back issues galore i think hmm. they come out with the new stuff but i think you're six months there's a delay i think hmm. it's six months if i'm not mistaken so you don't get the new stuff right away but i mean you definitely can go back i think all of the new mutant stuff is now on there oh really so you could read it the entire oh. run um and i know a lot of podcasters are fans of it because it's easy to clip art from it yeah that would be so. ideal i I'm still a fan of holding the physical issues. I, in my for sure, for sure. There's something to be said about like, I mean, I, I like trades and they're great to read mm. the story, but I still would prefer to read it. Yeah. <laughs> I want those ads, damn it. Yeah. Yeah. I want the smell of that book. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the '90s. You know, we talked a little bit about it already, but what? How do you think that that cultural shift like yeah i think you could call it a cultural shift where the the creative aspects took what creative creators took more of a uh controlling role of what they were putting on the page mm-hmm. um how do you think that has inf- uh impacted the industry and is that a positive or a negative uh, i definitely think it's gonna end up being a positive it's good to I know we've all kind of heard the stories of what it was like prior to the 90s boom and where an artist could get real mistreated. Even iconic artists like Jack Kirby were not treated really well. And there's the story about Superman's creators and even like Bill Finger from Batman. Yeah. They created all these amazing works, but nobody nobody gave them credit for years and years and years. And there's some of that persisted late. Um, and then in the 90s, the artist just kind of took the reins and demanded that they have uh some respect and that was through making image and i think i think that went over to dark horse i don't really know the lineage of how dark horse was created but i think in the end that's going to be a good thing of course the whole whole industry collapsed in the 90s but but i think now you still have image going strong and i think they still focus on letting creators do their things if books are so all over the place and do their own kind of thing I'm glad to see that's happening. You still have Walking Dead, and I think they had Invincible, that Robert Kirkman book, and Saga, the new, the new, the new ones that are really the iconic books that they, their flagship books for that company. And right. It's good they're still going. I hope it. I hope the industry still is. You don't have those poverty-stricken artists who create such amazing things that we all love and then you find out they're all <laughs> destitute and needing yeah. GoFundMe pages yeah. for, <laughs> to pay their medical bills yeah you hope those days are gone but I think the industry is probably always going to be pretty small yeah well I guess <clears throat> so like the 80s the 70s the 80s 
I mean, you look at Claremont and what he was able to do with the X-Men, and, like, we're talking 20-some years on a book, 17, 20 years on a book. Like, that's unheard of. It mm-hmm. certainly doesn't happen. That wasn't even the norm then, I would argue. It's certainly never going to be the norm, or it doesn't appear like it's going to be the norm anytime soon. Um, is there something that's been lost by allowing the artist, like, the, the, the artist to be the, the person who's drawing and creating the artwork for the book? to drive the story, to drive so much of what is put to the pa- the, in the book and, and, and shifting control away from the writer. Do you think that there's something that's been lost in that? Yeah, I really think it's a really good parallel is like movies because it's a visual and a written medium. And like if you just have a director who's all visual and all flash, it ends up being kind of weak. Whereas right. like if it's a writer can carry it, I think more than an artist, oddly enough. And I think it's... Being visual and and written medium, when they're married together, you get your best stuff. Like for that's, sure, that's always going to be the best. So, Claremont and Jim Lee, <laughs> right? <laughs> Claremont, Jim Lee. There's some. There are some magical combinations, and it's so easy to see it in the X Men books, in my opinion, because Claremont's written the book for so long. So you you do have points where the art and the and the story don't line up. John Byrne mm-hmm. and and Claremont start to fall apart over a rift, and and who should have the say, right? <laughs> and and but when they're at their peak, Dark Phoenix Saga comes out, and that's like one of the monumental works of mm. not only the X-Men line, but Marvel in general. Like, you could put that in top probably ten for yeah. Marvel, anything Marvel's done. And then you look at Zinkevich uh, and, and Claremont, and their partnership and ability to work yeah. together and put something so perfect on the page. One of the things that troubles me with new stuff today is... Yeah, it's not text-driven. You see much more the arts telling the story. And that's not a bad thing. We see dialogue, but we don't see as much in terms of narrative storytelling. We don't see the... For certainly, footnotes have yeah. become a thing of the past. I've always enjoyed being able to look at the comic and know, oh, if I have questions, I can go to that mm-hmm. issue. And it, I'll track it down in the back issues. It's a little harder to do that today. Um, yeah. Which is kind of a sad thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I guess they rely on the internet to be the replacement of the footnotes, but right. I always love the little asterisk, see last ish. Right. Know, that's my favorite. <laughs> I love that too, yeah. That's a thing of the past, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so for you, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about artists, um, but is there, who are your artists? Who are the artists that really you focus on that have been influential for you? Oh man, there's there's so many, and I feel like I'm still kind of discovering more. Like, <laughs> even like from my youth, I, I Sam Keith I follow a lot just because I think his style is so amazing. But I I still am a I'm still putting together a run of all the old Hulk books, and that is such like a a passion project for me. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so drawn to it, but I love it. <laughs> so so Salvasema is gonna be my my guy. <laughs> but sure. right now I've been. Getting more into, I remember being drawn to Simon Beasley's covers on Dark Horse books. <laughs> like back, I remember the Terminator series specifically, which I believe the inside was a kind of trash, but <laughs> <laughs> but that cover, I'm like, yep, I want that book. So I'm going back and visiting his stuff, and but I, artistically influential were those monster books from Marvel, which were all reprints of Tales to Astonish. I think. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I've been going through all those, and they're uh, monster where monsters dwell, where monsters roam, or where creatures roam. Those are the reprint issues that I just 
I love them so much. And the covers, even that they're reprints, they changed them just enough that they just have that 70s look that I love so much. And they reprinted those in big, huge volumes that I just want so bad. <laughs> but I, they're pretty expensive. But those ones really were artistically influential. And I mean, there's just a whole bunch of artists in there during that era that got their start. And I mean, Ditko is one of them. Right. And yeah, just so many names from the 60s genre in there that were in those monster books at the time. So it's fun to revisit that and realize that's who that is. Right. <laughs> Well, one of my one of the things I'm really beginning to enjoy having this conversation with you is that like Sal Buscema is this artist who really ties two passions for us together because he worked for almost a year on New Mutants mm. before he was asked to not so politely to step away from the book <laughs> so that Zink, to make way for Zinkevich mm. and. The thing that I find the most ironic about that, not that I've seen the book that has been referenced in so many like online sources and uh, stuff I've read, but after in the sin he asks him to leave, he goes back to Hulk, which he'd been working on, and he just lays out some pages that are like, he's telling her, like, you wanted somebody to be like Zinkevich? Yeah, I could have done that. I could have done that. You know, and... He gives a three-page story arc in Hulk, or three-issue story arc in Hulk that's just, like, something that you oh, would wow. never expect. And I don't know the exact issues. I just... It's just something that I I'd, I want to go back and review yeah. and see myself, because... I'll have to check into that, because that's that sounds like something I really want to check. You know, and that's, like, the failing of the comic book history, industry, certainly, I think, at that time, is that... Mm since Zinkevich is coming in and doing something so revolutionary, which it should be, you know, trumpeted for what it is, it does alter yeah. what comics are capable of doing as a medium. Mm. But artists to that point hadn't been asked to do anything. They're like, here's our style, this is what the house style is, and this is what you're going to draw. Yeah. <laughs> and so everybody's shoehorned into that. Mm. And, like, there's so many stories in that uh, Sean Howe book of artists being asked, here's some layouts of Kirby's, you ink them, <laughs> yeah. you do the fill in the work, I want you to draw just like Jack. Mm -hmm. If you can draw like Jack, you can write a book. Like, well, yeah. let me do the art on a book, mm -hmm. you know? And so, like, that's what comics had been to that point. So it's, what do you, how do you expect Salbusama to be anything other than yeah. what he had been? Yeah, and that's where Herb Trimpey was definitely one of those Kirby clones when he started right. on the Hulk, and he kind of was able to evolve into his own different, specifically Herb Trimpey style. <laughs> right. But yeah, that was... it's. I don't know when that exactly left the business, you know. Yeah, I don't. It it probably in the eighties. I'm, I'm my guess is yeah. that artists seeing what it's capable. Um, are there any writers that you're really drawn to? Oh man, that's that's something I've never really followed that much, which is sad. Right, <laughs> just art focused, but I was definitely aware of uh peter david's runs sure. i think when he was on hulk even though i wasn't into his the 90s stuff too much later in life i've come back to revisit it i know he's boy i might be getting this wrong but i think his stuff uh was paralleling todd mcfarlane's work on hulk i think that's right yeah, and and that was a great that gray hulk run with sure mcfarlane on it was just so good i like <laughs> so i think I think I've always had a soft spot for him, specifically as a writer. But, sure. But yeah, I've never been one to follow writers as much. Right, and so, like, that to me, like, I remember in the 90s, 
after kind of the collapse, after like Jim Lee had had his success, gone to Image, and things had kind of started to settle out, late 90s, early 20, 2000s, talking with you and others too, but for sure you, um, and, and complaining like, man, if they just keep writers on books long enough to get a central story going, mm. to have some sort of overarching story, like this would be better. Yeah. And at the same time, if I would have been asked then, and I still struggle today, like I can name artists, no problem. You start asking me to name yeah. writers. I can name a few, certainly books that I'm really, really into, but my knowledge of who's writing the books is much smaller. Yeah. And it's funny mm-hmm. that I'm sitting here advocating for writers having more control, but yet I can't tell you. Any, I can't give you a list of influential yeah. writers. <laughs> yeah, the 90s, right? It's so weird. <laughs> it's so terrible weird. time for that. To be a, a writer, I imagine they were just out right. on the streets. I don't know. I just I, I I still to this day I really I liked what I liked about Claremont's run is that it's consistently Claremont and mm-hmm. that it's consistently him pulling the threads together and writing the story and we get this broad tapestry of of a long running story that has an impact on characters that yeah. isn't constantly being rearranged and rewritten and reconstructed because somebody knew it was on the book yeah. Um, I wish I knew more writers, though. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's great. Um, so, as far as like drawing the, doing the artwork for this podcast, like, are there, um, what what kind of uh, techniques and, like, what can you give us a little bit of insight into how you put that together, like how that came about? Yeah, I wanted to be able to represent the characters you sent me you sent me some study pieces for the the people to be featured in the little bubbles and sure and then i grabbed i grabbed a few more images of them so i could really know what they look like but that cover i mean it really was you don't need to it's almost ingrained in your head it's so awesomely <laughs> 90s and i really wanted to be like just 90s the hell out of that cover so like i really was like i want a giant like silly image style gun so that's what i went for that was one of the things I wanted on that cover so bad, but it was a pretty, pretty easy one to replicate because it's just so, I love the style of it. Just some circles, one character, and then that bright red background. I thought that was a really, a fun one to do. It was a good choice for a cover. Yeah, 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 it was, it's like a great cover. It is so, that is so like, yeah, you're right. It's iconic. Yeah. It's so perfect. I, I was, when I thought, like, what cover would represent this, <laughs> would everybody look at it and know, like, yeah. this is the one, this is the one. It's perfect for New Mutants, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, what was it like, was this the first time you'd done stuff on the computer, uh, as far as coloring and stuff, or? Yeah, I've actually never, <laughs> never done any uh, computer coloring, I've never uh, worked in computers, I know that's this industry standard, so I need to get on board, but <laughs> I've always just been a pen and ink guy, you know, pencils, pen and ink, and that was where my work stopped, I never did any color, I'm not much of a painter, but I used it's the, the, the GIMP program, which is a free download, I'm sure there's much more advanced uh, platforms out there to do that work on, but it was really, I was surprised, you know, it's a very easy thing to do, I just simply put in a scan of my inks and it was is took some cleaning up so a lot of cleaning up that took most of the time but really to to generate the the colors was so easy i really enjoyed that program so cool and it's free <laughs> well, even better <laughs> yeah. even better yeah um 
Yeah. Uh, I guess last kind of last question I want to ask is, you know, what is your opinion of where Disney's taken the Marvel Universe versus where Fox and maybe Sony has taken mm. the portions of the Marvel Universe they controlled? And what would you like to see coming forward for, like, uh, with Disney taking ownership of mm. like pretty much all their properties back? Yeah. From our, you know, what would you like to see going forward? I mean, I, I, there is part of me that's alarmed that Disney owns everything of our youth is in, is in Disney now, which is terrifying, but they're doing really good work. I really approve of what they're doing. And I think Fox started out good, but they were still so upset that studio idea of like, let's make sure this is believable. No yellow costumes, let's do black leather. And, right. And all Disney had to do is like, let's just make comic books <laughs> on right. film and that's literally <laughs> what they're doing they're, they didn't didn't go too dark and gritty so everybody's gets to be a part of it really and right and it's been so well done i think it's smart the way they play with genres and right that captain america winter soldier spy thriller movie was so perfect and ant-man being a, a caper of <laughs> a, a heist movie yeah, right. was, that was so good um i'm excited that they're they did Infinity Infinity War. I really, really liked it. I thought they did well with it. I want to see, for me personally, I want to see a big Hulk event where he's kind of the big bad, where everyone has to fight oh, the Hulk. Oh, yeah, like, man. A, a Berserker Hulk. Hulk. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. That'd be the ideal end for his kind of character or his arc in the, in the films, but I can't help but be excited about the X-Men coming home. That's right. See a good treatment of those, because like a lot of people say, those Fox movies are just Wolverine movies. You right, know? absolutely. <laughs> like, and I love Hugh Jackman, but we definitely want to see a better treatment of all of, of the whole team. Like, right. Especially poor Cyclops. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see a better Cyclops. I'd like to see, um, uh, you know, you can name the character, you know, whether it's Nightcrawler, Storm, mm. uh, Gene, uh, you know, uh, Colossus. I mean, I know they've, hit the you, you you're a fan of the portrayal of Colossus in the Deadpool movies yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah I'd like to see a main main uh, Marvel MU X-Men lineup that treats the team as more than just Wolverine yeah yeah they were all just kind of side players to the Wolverine in, in those <laughs> movies but, but yeah I'm excited to see it happen I think they could do it that's if anybody can you know right <laughs> that's the studio I feel like could do it and you know, Fantastic Four would be. I'd love to see that too. Great to see that done well. I'm right. a big thing fan. So. Yeah, Fantastic Four that's not. Like, I think Disney could do a Fantastic Four. I'm yeah. certain of, of this. Yeah, at the beginning of all this, I was like, when they first announced Thor, I'm like, there's no way they can make this work. Rainbow Bridges and all that, but they've, they've been doing it. So. Right. If anybody can, it's them. And if you're going to have, you know, the Hulk, I think the natural, I mean, I think you could have a standalone Hulk thing mm. movie or even like a Fantastic Four up against the Hulk would be a great. I, I just, I think that the, the dynamic that that offers you is this rage monster and this like not rage monster, right? This monster that's rock. Yeah. That it's human and human. totally understands the plight <laughs> of the Hulk. You yeah. know? That's maybe my favorite story arc is Hulk versus Thing. I just love that that duo when they fight each other. Just, yeah. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> um you know, New Mutants is supposed to be coming out, mm. possibly. Uh the Demon Bear Saga as Fox put it together. 
it's been on hiatus. It's been completed, and we're just waiting now to see yeah. if they'll drop it. Um, I, I, I suspect, my, my best guess is it's going to go right to the Disney streaming service that they're going to have. Yeah. Um, and my fear is that if that movie doesn't happen, if they decide that's not even what they're going to do, if they're just going to shelf it, mm. there won't ever be a New Mutants film. Yeah. Like, that's my big fear. Yeah, that's true. It's not the typical typical franchise to be picked out um it's could be so good the concept is something i could get behind i'm like the idea of maybe a horror sort of uh there's a movie like i said they like how disney does the genre bending of those but my worry is fox is so have found such success in the r-rated genre that they would just make it like the they'd overdo it and right i hope it's just a kind of a good frightening almost haunted house movie right. with it, Demon Bear. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I don't yeah. know. We'll see. Um, I've seen a few of the trailers. I've seen the trailer. It, I'm, in t- I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah, My boycott's too. obviously over because <laughs> I don't have to boycott Fox anymore. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll see where this goes. It's, mm-hmm. it's exciting, for sure. Um, well, I want to thank you yeah. for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. And again, like, that artwork is so stunning. Uh, so perfect. Yeah, no problem. It's fun to be able to contribute. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. James Explores the New Mutants is, as always, recorded in Iowa City, Iowa, and is produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are published every Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at Explore New Mutant via email at explorethenewmutants at gmail.com. Visual companions to episodes are available on Facebook and can be found by searching James Explores the New Mutants. A good way to contact the podcast is via the Anchor Messenger feature. It allows you, the listeners, to contact me by recording one minute long segments that I can then play directly in the episodes. It's a great way for you to get involved, and I highly encourage it. So, until next time, keep, listen, keep reading those comics.